Let's uh, read God's Word together. We're in Haggai chapter 2. Have you got your Bible with you? Or your iPhone or whatever you're using. The words will be on the screen uh, as well. Haggai chapter 2 and uh, this chapter has headed the promised glory of the new house. God's word says this, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them who of you is left, who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, And that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food. Does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight mildew and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. 
Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. And on that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. And I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Let's just pray together uh, before we look at God's Word. Father God, it is an honor for us to gather in your presence this morning. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that it is through his blood shed on the cross that we have access into the Holy of Holies and that we can meet here this morning in Glasgow, in this building, and yet in the very presence of God. Lord, what a blessing that is to know you, to come into your holy presence with awe and reverence and to be able to lift our worship to you. And as we spend time in our, your presence, worshiping you, praising you, bringing you the glory and honor and thanks that is due to your name. Lord, sometimes something remarkable happens. And that is that you descend and that you come and that you meet with us. And that as we spend time in worship and in prayer and in your word, that you, living God, come by your Spirit and that you speak into our lives and you minister to us. What a blessing that is. So we pray this morning that our eyes might be focused on you and that as we just spend some time again in worship as we prepare to hear from your Spirit as you speak through your word that we might delight to bring you all the glory and all the honor. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you welcome us into your presence. And we pray that you would get all the glory and all the honor this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You're all in good voice this morning. Lovely to, to hear worship uh, rising up. Uh, I was looking back because I knew I had preached on Haggai before. Uh, we had a discussion at leadership team a number of months ago. Mike suggested at the start of the year uh, that we look at uh, the book of Haggai. I had a look back and I discovered that on the 25th of January 2009, uh, I preached on Haggai chapter 2. Here we are on the 26th of January uh, 2020. Uh, back in Haggai uh, again. I couldn't find my notes from previously, so I couldn't plagiarize my sermon. I don't know what I spoke on uh, last time. Uh, but it was good uh, to have uh, Ian Gall uh, here with us last week uh, from Riverside Church uh, talking about uh, Haggai chapter 1 and about putting God first in our lives uh, again. And the context of, of this book, uh, just to remind you, uh, is that Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, signs a decree. God's people have been in exile, and he allows them to return 
uh, again uh, to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. And around 50,000 of God's people returned. And they began building uh, the temple again. And within two years, the foundations are laid. And then opposition comes and the work stops. And the temple wasn't the only thing that needed rebuild in the land. And so they return and they begin building up their own homes again. They begin building up their own livelihoods and they just get busy with life. And week after week passes and month after month passes and year after year passes. And before you know it, 15 years have gone. And they've been building up their homes and their livelihoods. And yet God's house still lies in ruin. And into this context, God speaks through the prophet Haggai. And he says this, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Here are the people, and they have been investing in their lives. And yet, what has been the return on their investment? They've been laboring for personal prosperity, and yet all of it has amounted to nothing. Why? Because the Lord's house lies in ruins. This is not a message of prosperity gospel. It is a message of gospel priorities. And the book of Haggai is a reminder that when we put God first, then life begins to find its fit around that. And it is a call again to obedience. And it is a call again to love the Lord and for him to be first in our lives. Well, as you came to the end of chapter 1 uh, last week, we see that as God has spoken through Haggai, so the people's spirits get stirred up again. And the leaders of the people, their spirits are stirred up again. And the high priest, his spirit is stirred up again. And the work begins again in earnest. And we know those moments in our Christian life. Sometimes we're trudging along and then God comes and he speaks. And suddenly it reignites something within us, a fresh passion for the Lord and for his work. And the work begins again on the temple. And then we read these words at the beginning of chapter 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, 
the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Here in the land, there is this bustle of excitement. The people's spirits have been stirred up. They've got a passion again. Their focus has been redirected away from themselves to building up the house of the Lord again. There's this oneness and there's this unity in the land. And then something happens. And here in these verses, God is reflecting the conversations that are happening amongst the people. And you can just imagine it. The work is going, there's this fresh excitement, and then somebody chirps up. Probably an old man, someone who had seen the former temple as a child. And he says this, I tell you what, call this a temple? It wasn't like this in my day. I remember the old temple of Solomon. It was wonderful. Oh, the glory of that place. Look at this heap of ruins. It's not going to amount to anything. You don't even have the right materials for the building project. Where's the silver? Where's the gold? And there it is. A word of discouragement that spreads amongst the people. And that wind is knocked out their sails, and it almost brings the work to a halt. And we all know it. Any of us who have been Christians for any length of time know it. A time that you're fired up about something, you have a passion for something, it seems like God is speaking, you know what you've got to do, and then there's a word of discouragement. It can come from any of us. Here in the text, the specific example is of those who are older. We're thankful. And we're blessed for the older saints who are part of this church. And one of the things about having years of experience is that you have a choice as to how to use it. And our calling to you is to be people of encouragement. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10 do not say the old days were better, for this is not a wise thing to say. I love that verse. I love it. It's a challenge to all of us as to how we grow old. I'm not quite in that older generation yet. I've had my 40th birthday this week. I'm slowly getting there. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you. 
We've all got a choice, haven't we? Do you know what? This temple that they're building, maybe it doesn't have the aesthetic beauty and glory of the temple before. There is something there that can be commented on. And yet we have a choice of perspective whether to look back and compare and contrast or whether to look forward to try and see the new thing that God is doing. James Montgomery Boyce. Sometimes we compare the church of our day with the church in previous ages. We say, where is the power of the gospel today? Where is the zeal of a previous generation? Where are the men and women of faith of old? Where are the great gatherings of people to hear the gospel, not just on a rare occasion, but regularly? By comparison, this generation seems to be one of small things, and we get depressed. The dwindling size of the church gets us down emotionally, and all we begin seeing are the problems. But God is not finished with us yet. Instead of looking back, we must always be on the lookout for the new thing that God is doing. Do you know what? We want to bless the past. We want to bless what God has done in previous generations, and we want to give thanks for it. And we want to give all the glory to God for it. But our focus cannot be on the past. Our focus has to be on looking out and asking, what is the new thing that God is doing? How can we discern that? How can we be attentive to it? Because God is not finished with us yet. And God works in every generation. And sometimes there is a generation where there is much happening and there is revival and there is much to give thanks for. And other generations, it seems to be a bit more lean. But God is always at work. And our calling is to be obedient to that. And rather than looking back and saying those good old days were better, here's a different perspective. Psalm 71 verse 8. Even when I am old and gray, shutting my eyes here, not looking at anyone individually, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. That is the role of older saints in a church, to encourage the next generation, to tell the next generation of God and of His power and of His mighty acts, to tell the next generation, see as you read the Word of God, through all the years that I have traveled, I found God's Word to be faithful, and He's never let me down. And you might not have those years of experience as a younger generation, but hold on to God. Trust Him. Know that He is faithful through the highs and the lows of life that you will go through. Those highs and lows that have brought me gray hairs. 
those difficulties. I testify to the goodness of God. Comparison is a difficult thing. A.W. Tozer had this prayer. Apologies if your eyesight's getting bad at that age that you can't see it as clearly. We'll get back to a bigger font in a moment. It says this, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts very well. That is not in their power, nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use them to thy glory, such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any, nor try to build up my self-esteem by knowing where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I herewith make a blanket disavowal of intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in my self-judgment and actually underestimate myself, I do not want to know of it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed, it is my own if it is thine own. For what is thine is mine. And while one plants and one waters, it is thou alone that giveth the increase. What is the point? As Christians, we often compare. And we can compare what is happening at the church down the road. But we're not called to compare. We're called to bless. We're not in competition with one another. It is all kingdom work. And where God is working, we rejoice with that. And what God has given us, we offer back to him and say, use it for your glory. Use it for your honor. Build your church, build your kingdom. May your glory be seen. So there is this message of discouragement that comes. But then God speaks into that context and he says this, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Sometimes when we compare and sometimes when we contrast, we can conclude that God is not with us. We look back and we see bigger things happening in a previous generation and we look sometimes at what is happening now and our conclusion is that God is not with us. That might have been the conclusion of the people as this discouragement comes. And yet God speaks. And God encourages. And he says three things. Be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel. You're leading. Be strong, high priest. Be strong, all you people. 
Be strong in the godly convictions that you have developed about the work that is to be done now. Be strong. Know that my presence is with you. And then get on and do the work that is before you. And you find that this is a common thing that God speaks right throughout his word. Moses handing the baton on to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, in Joshua chapter 1, we read these words, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's a word we need to hear time and time again. Be strong and courageous. Don't be discouraged, because we know that discouragement comes. Don't be afraid, because there are many challenges that will come against us if we're stepping out in God's work. But know that I am with you. What is it that David says to Solomon when Solomon goes to build the temple? Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The work belongs to the Lord. It is His work that we are involved in. He is the one who is the master builder. And we get involved in his work, in his power, and in his strength. We don't do it on our own. And sometimes the task seems too great, but it seemed too great for all those who have gone before us. To everyone that these words were spoken to in Scripture... The task seemed too great, and it was too great for them. But God was equal to the task. And because he was equal to the task, then its outcome was assured. As we think about Koinonia as a church, as we think about our fellowship with God, and our fellowship with one another. One of the greatest things that we can do as we're seeking to work and minister for the Lord is to encourage one another to keep our eyes on God and to encourage one another in the work that we are doing because encouragement builds unity and encouragement spurs one another on. And know what it goes on to say. And the focus here is all on God and His glory. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, 
I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Note the repetition. Time and time again, it is this phrase, I will, I will, I will. It is not the people who are building the house of the Lord. It is the Lord who is building. I will shake the nations. I will shake the heavens and the earth. I am the desired of all the nations. I have the materials you need, the silver and the gold, whatever is needed in order to build this temple. And the glory belongs to me, and I will fill this house with my glory. And I will grant peace in this place. It will be my shalom. It will be my peace that fills the Lord's temple. And who says these words? Well, right throughout this chapter is this, that repetition of that phrase, the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. He is the one who has the power to do this and more. And the focus of this building is not to be on the aesthetics. We discover as we go on through Scripture that the focus is to be on a person. It is to be on the Lord. It is to be on the person of Christ. Where is the fulfillment of these words spoken of in Haggai? Well, actually, the fulfillment of it is found in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 to 26 this is where we see the glory of the Lord in all its fullness. John sees this vision and he says this, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night, and the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. This is the fulfillment of all that Haggai spoke of. Yet the wonder is that we do not wait till then to get a foretaste of it. That is the beauty. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? The glory of the Lord can be known in our midst now in a way that Haggai couldn't even dream of. 
And it is as we, as the people of God, put God at the center. It is as our focus is on Christ. That we have this blessing. This blessing of knowing the glory of God in our midst. Of worshiping Him. Of lifting high the name of Jesus. That's when church gets exciting. Wouldn't that draw you to this place every Sunday? If you knew that as you came into here that God was here in his glory, in his majesty, in his splendor. And that we could come and that we could meet with him. And yet that's what's promised. Spirit of God dwells in us. And as two or three are gathered, so the Lord is present here. That is the great gift that we have. That this is holy ground. That the glory of this temple is greater than the one that went before. And there is an even greater glory that will come when sin is dealt with. When those things that act as a barrier between us and God are fully cleansed, fully forgiven, fully dealt with. Well, as we come into the presence of God, and as we get involved in this building work, there is a danger for us. And that danger is this presumption that just because we are doing God's work that we will be blessed. And this is a question that Haggai tackles. It says this, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Agai said, if a person unclean by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become unclean? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Very briefly, pick up a bit of time here. Here is the picture. Something holy coming into contact with something unclean. Something unclean coming into contact with something holy. Can the holy thing make the unclean thing holy? Or does the unclean thing make the holy thing unclean? With me? Complicated. Let me explain it in a simple way. I sit down next to Nick, okay? Nick has a stinking cold. He hasn't this morning, but we'll pretend that he does. Now, can I transfer my health to Nick and make him better? The answer's no. But if I sit long enough next to Nick and he's got a bad cold, what are the chances of me getting ill the next day? Very highly probable. 
That's what God is talking about here. Just because the people are getting involved in the holy work of building the temple, does that mean that suddenly they've become holy in and of themselves? The answer is no. And their presumption is that because they've got involved in this holy work, that suddenly they've become holy and suddenly God is going to pour out these blessings. But God says, no, my people and my nation, they are unclean. Even though they're involved in this holy work, they're unclean. There's something deeper at work here. Then it says this. This theme, give careful thought, runs right throughout Haggai. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight and mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. So first of all, God says, consider the past. When you were involved in my work, was there blessing? They said, no. The reality was that we were working for you, and yet we weren't getting the blessing that we expected. We were laboring hard, and yet it wasn't as fruitful as we thought. And then God says, consider the present and consider the future. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. So God says, in the past you were working and it wasn't fruitful, and you started building this temple again and building the foundation, and yet, is there seed in the barn? Is the barn overflowing with provision? Are the trees and the land that are meant to bear fruit and provide for you, are they fruitful? And again, the answer is no. Give careful thought. What is the problem here? Well, the problem is that sin still reigns that God's people are still out of relationship with him. Yes, they're doing the work, but there's something deeper that needs to be sorted in order for them to see the fullness of God's blessing. But then something remarkable happens. God spends about eight and a half verses telling them how they're out of relationship with him how they shouldn't expect any blessings. And then he says this completely out of the blue. From this day on, I will bless you. You look at a lot of liberal commentators on this passage and they think that this verse is completely out of place. These words seem completely out of context. And yet it's the context of the verses before that give this verse its power and its meaning. 
This points us towards the very character of God. We don't deserve his blessing. We don't. And sometimes we get involved in the holy work of God. And let's be honest, our assumption is blessings are going to start coming my way. And yet just doing the holy work of God does not equate to being blessed in life. That's why I said this is not a message of prosperity gospel. It's a message of gospel priorities. Our call is to step out in obedience and do God's work. If he chooses to bless, then it is a gift from him. Why is Haggai speaking about these things in the context of a book which is all about a building project. Well, Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 says this, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Sometimes when we get involved in planning as a church, sometimes when we get involved with God's work as a church, there can be this automatic assumption that God is going to bless us, that God will be pleased with us. But doing holy work alone is not enough. All the work we do needs to be rooted in our relationship with Jesus. That is the point here. Doing the work is not enough. Doing the right thing is not enough. Everything we do must be rooted in our relationship with Christ. And it's when we get those two things together when we're doing the work faithfully that God has asked us to do, and yet we are abiding in Christ, we have that relationship with Jesus, that is when we see His glory. That is when His peace and His shalom will fill His temple. And that is the point here of these verses. The Lord wanted to delight in them. But in order for their work to have an eternal significance, and not just to be blown away like chaff, it was the Lord who had to build. Everything had to be centered around Him. It had to be rooted in a relationship with God in order for it to have an eternal significance. And when we do that, then the Lord delights in us, and He delights in the leaders of His people. As we end, God says to Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. 
We're reminded of that. In the olden days, the king would have a ring. And he'd seal a letter with wax, and then he'd imprint the image of his ring on it. A sign that it came with his authority. And here is Zerubbabel, a man of God, who will bear God's image on earth before the people. A remarkable man of God. A man of God who was in the family line of Jesus. We read about his name in the genealogies. And God's desire for us is that we would bear the image of God. That as people see us, that they would see God. That as people come into this place, that they would encounter the glory of God. That they would encounter the shalom of God. That they would encounter God himself. That's our prayer. If the Lord builds a house, we don't labor in vain. That's the encouragement. Let us put God first. A lot in that chapter, because we're doing the small group study on Thursday night, I had to get through it all. I could have spent a few weeks on that chapter alone. Let's pray together. Just as a band comes up. Father God, we thank you that the work belongs to you. We thank you that it is you who will shake the nations. It is you that will shake the heavens and the earth. We thank you that Christ is the true desire of all nations, whether they know it or not. We thank you that as we get involved in your building project, that you supply all that we need. And you supply the glory. Because the glory belongs to you and you alone. And it is your shalom that fills the house of the Lord. Lord, I pray this morning for any discouraged hearts. Anyone who has been given a task to do by you, and yet because of discouragement, they've thought about giving up or laying it down for a season. And I pray this morning that your spirit would stir up their hearts again to re-engage with the work that you have given them. And we thank you that for each one of us, you give us a unique work to do in building your kingdom, something that we've been made to do, and us alone, that we have a unique identity in Christ, and there is something that you have for us. And we pray that we would all discover that, or perhaps rediscover it, if we have lost it. And we pray that we would learn to put you first and to give you all the glory 
and all the honor. And we do that because it is the right thing to do. And we do it not for blessing. We do it to glorify and honor you. But we praise you that you love us. And the amazing thing is that you long to bless us. And for that, we worship you. Receive the praise of our hearts now as we end this time in your presence. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let us worship God.